Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Matt Ho joins us now. Matt, I want to ask you a lot of questions about uh, Julian Assange, whom we both know and whose cause uh, uh, for freedom we have both supported uh, you more so than almost anybody I know. But before we get there, um the slaughter, the IDF slaughter of innocent civilians in Gaza seems to be getting worse and worse. What can stop this? Is it is it a diversion of the uh, Israeli military uh, to southern Lebanon, where I, I think they will meet uh, a force greater than theirs? Is it a conversion of Joe Biden's demented view of this? What do you think can put a stop to Netanyahu's slaughter? It has to be external, Judge, right? And, uh, you know, thank you for having me back on. And uh, But it has to be external. We're seeing clearly that it's not going to come internally from the Israelis. And I think most people understood that, you know, four months ago, people were saying that, including many of you, many of those who are on your channel. Uh, so it has to come from either uh, uh, an outside force acting on uh the Israelis to cause them to stop, uh, such as, say, an armed invasion by the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Lebanese, the Turks, et cetera, which is highly, highly unlikely and would offer and bring its own catastrophes to that. So I don't think that's a course of action that anyone who is sane would recommend. Uh, so the other, ac other aspect of this, of how it stops, is by the Americans telling them to stop. Uh, we are providing uh, the munitions, the bombs, the rockets, the missiles, the shells uh, that are being utilized to conduct this genocide. And without that, uh, the Israelis cannot continue it. Now, we're getting into the final weeks, the final days, the final phase of their of their campaign in Gaza, at least in the sense of they have bombed nearly everything they can bomb. The last place left standing, basically, is Rafah. So I, I think, and I think many others agree, that what's occurring here is the White House and many or most of, of, of our members of Congress are saying, please get this done. Hurry up and get it done. We've just, we just saw today, horrifically, disgustingly, obscenely, the United States vetoed another ceasefire uh, a resolution in the United Nations Security Council today. So as the United States continues to provide this assistance, this direct support continues to enable 
the genocide, I think the Americans are saying, hurry up and get it done. We're running out of time here. You need to finish your ethnic cleansing. You need to move into the next phase. So at least we cannot be, we not be it cannot be said that we are uh, an act of genocide is in progress. And we can go and we can color this as this is rebuilding, this is reconstruction, this is stability operations. So I think that's what's occurring. But to your your question, Judge, the only thing that could stop the Israelis are the Americans, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen uh, at any point. For all the um, Americans and Israelis that have a tremendous uh, animosity towards Prime Minister Netanyahu, here's his likely uh, replacement, uh, Benny Gantz, a retired general. You'll you'll hear him in just a few minutes. Cut number one, Chris. He says, Belikos as Netanyahu. The world must know, and Hamas leaders must know, if by Ramadan, hostages are not home, the fighting will continue everywhere to include Rafah area. We will do so in coordinated manner, facilitating the evacuation of civilians in dialogue with American and Egyptian partners and minim to minimize the civilian casualties as much as possible. I think you've told us, Colonel McGregor has told us, Scott Ritter has uh, told us, Larry Johnson and Ray McGovern. You know, Netanyahu has tremendous personal flaws, but whoever replaces him will be just as warlike, and that's probably uh, the person that it will be. That's exactly right, Judge. That's exactly right. There's there's very few in Israeli society who are standing against this war. Uh, one of those, a, a, a member of the parliament, uh, the, they tried to kick out of the parliament and they were unsuccessful today or yesterday. Uh, but there is no space for any type of dissidence against this war. It doesn't seem like people want to fill that space. This war is popular in Israel uh, with the with the caveat that the hostages are what's causing the aggravation among the Israeli public towards the Israeli government. So it's not as if the Israelis are in the streets demanding an end to the war because of the, the moral, the ethical, the legal, the strategic reasons to end this genocide, uh, but rather because the hostages still have not been returned home. Uh, and what we've seen, as we saw over the weekend, uh, the prime minister of Israel say that you know there will be no uh, Palestinian state. He then doubled down on that by saying, uh, I am the reason why there has not been a Palestinian state. I've been the one who stood in the way of a Palestinian state for decades now, and he received great acclaim and applause for that. And then his cabinet voted unanimously to support that position that there would be no Palestinian state. And then as of yesterday, there was supposed to have been a vote in the Israeli parliament affirming that. However, it was pulled, and I believe maybe it was being voted on today, because it, the reason why that was pulled, this affirmation that there will be no Palestinian state, because what was proposed, what had been put forward by the prime minister's office was not strong enough. We really are. I had a fear that that's where you're going. Switching gears, uh, about two hours ago, we had Patrick Lancaster on. He's the uh, intrepid American uh, journalist uh, who reports from Donetsk. And while he was in his apartment in Donetsk, he heard tremendous explosions and ran out uh, into the street. And the Ukrainians had attacked a crosswalk, a pizza parlor, and a public library. 
and he examined the the uh, wreckage and held in his hands what he could cert- what he could establish with absolute certainty uh, was from American HIMARS. So, question: What military conceivable military benefit is there for aiming at a library in a pizza parlor? We know how accurate the HIMARS are, or are the Ukrainian uh, troops so decimated that they don't have anybody that understands how to use this equipment? Right. There is no military justification for it. And this is this is what uh, uh, something that's that has uh, uh, many of us we have we've said over these last two years now, the fear of this escalating, the fear of this getting out of hand. And in this specific case, as you have basically a, a stalemated front line, the Russians are making advances. But, you know, the idea that the Russians are going to be able to end this war militarily unless there's a Ukrainian collapse, which is possible. Uh, but unless there's a Ukrainian collapse, there's no military victory at hand for the Russians. So, you know, what then this then what then becomes from this? What, what then occurs? And do you then get into basically a war of cities where the which is what occurred in the Iran-Iraq war 40 years ago? Uh, where this, the front is frozen, it's stalemated, neither side can win militarily. So they go about attacking each other's cities in order to, one, bolster their own civilian morale, right? Look what we just did to them. Look what we did to those Russians. Mm. Look what we just did to those Ukrainians. We paid them back. But of course, that that is a, a self-reinforcing cycle, right? Because then the Russians respond in kind because they have to respond to the Ukrainians attacking uh, a shopping mall, attacking a, 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 a marketplace, attacking a pizza parlor. So they feel the pressure to prove to their citizens that they are going to respond in kind. We won't take this from these Ukrainians. Look what we did to them. And that just is a tip for tat that, as everyone can understand, escalates. And then to you get to the point where you have this basically stalemate, this frozen conflict, this, this inability for either side to win militarily, unless, again, there is a collapse, um, it's, you know, you, you then they get into basically this war of cities, this basically uh, trying to punish the other side in in the the, the uh, completely uh, unreal expectation that you are going to force the other side to give up because you're producing harm on them. And of course, we all know that that's 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 completely false. It's, it's never been proven to work. And it's only been proven to show that it doesn't work, whether it was the Allied bombings of Germany or the Allied bombings of Japan, Nazi Germany's bombings uh, of London, uh, the American bombings of Vietnam. I mean, all the different examples we can point to, attacking civilians with air power to include, say, high Mars rockets, does not weaken the resolve of the other side. It actually does the opposite. And so that's the danger you're seeing here where this conflict can go in the next year or two is into this war of cities where they punish each other, attempt to boost their own morale by killing the civilians of the other side. But that, of course, is that self-reinforcing cycle of violence that ultimately leads to greater and greater destruction, which, of course, means greater and greater risk that this conflict either uh, expands horizontally or expands vertically, and by that meaning horizontally, bringing in other other players into the conflict, or vertically, meaning you get the bigger and bigger weapons up to and including nuclear weapons. It, it must be a sign of a near desperation for the new commander of the Ukrainian troops uh, to be attacking uh, innocent uh, civilians. 
he can't he can't possibly have much faith that his military is going to go anywhere or it's switching gears to the man uh, over your left shoulder what exactly did julian assange expose and reveal about the government that caused it to uh, indict him for espionage before we even get to what's happened to him in uh, the london embassy and the ecuadorian embassy and and this horrible london jail what did he receive from bradley manning and what did he expose okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, certainly what he, he what he published, and I think this is one of the things that we always want to make clear right off the bat, is that Julian Assange was not a whistleblower. He was a journalist, or he is a journalist, and that he published information. So he he you know he he is different than the the the, the Chelsea Mannings, than the Ed Snowdens, and the John Kiriakus. You know those who went forward as whistleblowers. Julian Assange was performing as a journalist, as a publisher. And what he published, what he showed the world uh, that he did collaboratively with the major media outlets of the world as well. We got to keep that in mind that when Julian Assange published this information, he did it through, of course, the WikiLeaks platform, but he also did it through major Western media. So uh, the biggest newspapers in the world, the biggest uh, media outlets in the world participated in this uh uh in these in what wikileaks was telling the world that the united states government was doing and what the what was being told about were these war crimes that the united states had committed in iraq and afghanistan uh particularly uh the first tranche the iraq war logs which is where wikileaks and julian assange uh become uh um uh, become well known. Uh, the Iraq war logs of 2010, of course, are let off with in April 2010, the collateral murder video, which is the gun camera footage from an Apache gunship in Baghdad a few years previously that had killed uh, uh, 11 or 12 people, uh, including journalists, have wounded children. Um, and this footage was shocking. It was stunning to Western audiences, especially American audiences, who even though we have been at war in Iraq for all those years, for seven, eight, seven years at that point, people were stunned to see this is what the war looks like. Uh, you know, and then, then over the summer, they released what's called the Iraq War Logs, which were uh, secret files provided to WikiLeaks from Chelsea Manning, who was a military intelligence analyst with the U.S. Army in Iraq that detailed uh, 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 one episode after another 
of war crimes, of malfeasance, of corruption, of lies, of misdeeds that, uh, you know, at, at, to put it uh, simply, embarrassed uh, and made uncomfortable and inconvenient the American government. And these sorts of things that were exposed, you know, include the fact that the United States was turning over Iraqi prisoners to Iraqi uh, government uh, uh, militias uh, that were, you know, what were known as death squads uh, that were going to torture and execute these people. So we willingly were taking part in torture. The scale and the scope of the civilian casualties uh, that were have been kept uh, hidden from the public view was was laid was 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 laid wide open. You know, in the Afghan war, we learned that the Americans know that the Pakistani intelligence services, which receive uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars every year from the Americans, are turning around and giving some of that money directly to the Taliban, who are then using that to kill American troops in Afghanistan. I mean, so those are just a few examples, but I mean the list of how much was revealed is really extensive, uh, Judge. I mean, you, you go and you, you read up on this, what was revealed by the WikiLeaks files, by, by the various releases, and you're talking about scores and scores of revelations, uh, you know, uh, regarding um, that the FBI was helping the Egyptian police uh, in their training, which basically amounted to torture. Uh, you know, we, we recognize that what we had done in Honduras, what had taken part in Honduras, what we had condoned in Honduras was a coup, right? So you have the American government saying that what just take place in Honduras, this is going back to 2009, if people remember, what just took place in Honduras was a coup and we were involved and we're not going to talk about it. You know what I mean? So just one after another of revelations, right. uh, you know, including th some things that are fairly comical. You go back to the Saudi uh, uh uh, King back in about 2006 and 2007. This is my favorite one, only because it's so 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 comical. It, it basically shakes down the U.S. government to give him uh, their you know his version of Air Force One, right? <laughs> I mean, so you had it, it, it goes from war crimes uh, to corruption to lies. Uh, you know, I mean, and this is what he exposed. And so the empire was incredibly embarrassed. Uh, it had been. Uh, it was it was it was made to to be seen as this as this criminal rogue gangster like uh, 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 organization the, in the way it conducted itself around the world and of course that belies and that diminishes and that detracts from America's image as the as uh, uh, you know the essential nation as some form of of of, of American exceptionalism. Right. So, I mean, what what he did, his crime was, was to expose the workings of the empire, expose the crimes of war and to embarrass the empire. And this is why he has been uh, uh, held, whether in, uh, you know, under uh, uh, house arrest effectively at the Ecuadorian embassy or in Belmarsh prison now for 12 years. This uh, scenes that uh, Chris is showing are just a few hours old. These are scenes outside the High Court in London. I think our viewers know the reason we're discussing Julian Assange is because of two days of oral argument today, Tuesday, and tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, which is really his last opportunity uh, to uh, avoid imprisonment, uh, to avoid extradition. The British have a different system than we do. Two judges are hearing this. Uh, if both agree that uh, he sh uh, should not be extradited immediately, 
there still is another appeal. If they order his immediate extradition, he can file an appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. It's questionable as to whether the courts in London would even recognize the Court uh, of Human Rights. Um, and I think there's a fear too, Judge, that if he is, if if this he's if extradition is allowed in this case, he could be extradited in such a quick manner that the petition to the European Court of Human Rights won't even won't even be heard. Correct. Uh, right. Yeah. So there Correct. is this fear that if whenever the decision comes from this true judge panel that he is going to be extradited to the United States, right. he will be bundled up and put on a plane to avoid the possibility of that appeal to the European court. It'd be very difficult for him to get a fair trial here. I mean, the, the case against them should obviously be dismissed right. because of the Pentagon Papers case. This is a mirror image of uh, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, another hero for freedom of the press. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg stole about stole about 7,000 pages of uh, documents from the Pentagon and gave them to the Washington Post and the New York Times. Uh, the uh, Justice Department under President Nixon persuaded a federal judge to enjoin their publication. Uh, the Times and the uh, Post appealed it to the appellate court. The Supreme Court reached right down to the appellate court's Second Circuit in New York for the New York Times, the D.C. Circuit in D.C. for the Washington Post, took the appeal, heard the oral argument, and ruled in record time by a vote of six to three uh, that whenever a publisher has matters of material interest to the public, it does not matter how the publisher acquired the matters. The right. publisher is immune from criminal and civil liability for the act of publication. That's the end, should be the end of his uh, case. I, I've said this before on this show, I'll say it again. I, I spent a few minutes on the phone shortly before he left office with President Trump, persuading him uh, to pardon Julian Assange and Edward Snowden. When the phone call was over, I couldn't contain myself. I was so excited because I thought I had succeeded mm. in talking him into it. And he later told me that I had, but that his mind was changed by two of the 15 people listening to the conversation. Right. And he called me. I didn't call him. He called me from the White House. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe Trump will be in the White House again and we'll go with his original, uh, original uh, instincts. He has, of course, been uh, tortured, not in the sense of beaten or anything like that, but the solitary confinement, the dreadful condition, the absence mm -hmm. of hope. Uh, has so severely weakened him physically, mentally, and psychologically that his lawyers can't even bring him into the uh, into the courtroom. In fact, the first judge, the first judge to hear this case, ruled against extradition, not because she thought he would get an uh, an unfair trial in the U.S., but she thought he was too sick to participate in his own defense. And then that was reversed, and all the other appeals. There have been five of them throughout the British system have come down in favor of the uh, of the extradition. Right. And his health was was so poor today that he was not present uh, in the courtroom. Correct. And, um, you know, part of that, too, the, the, the denial of the extradition by the original judge, by that first judge, had to deal with the the condition of American prisons. Uh, you know, so not just that Julian would be tortured uh, by uh, the American prison system because of who he is, 
but just the very nature of the American prison system itself. Uh, right. You know, and and you know what his his lawyers were continuing that line of argument, but they were also, I think, it's important to bring up the other points that they were arguing today uh, to try and prevent him from being extradited. Uh, you know, the first is that this is a political prosecution, and what they went through in terms of of, of laying that out and how that is uh, is uh, you know cannot be the the British the British uh, criminal justice system cannot go along with that because of British law and European law as well right. as international law that does not allow for someone to be uh, extradited to face political prosecution in another country uh, right. you know they argued as well the point that you brought up that he will not receive a fair trial uh, one of the most salient and striking aspects of that argument is that you know the British government will be extraditing Julian to a country that plotted to kill him. And this, of right. course, refers to the uh, plot by the CIA under Mike Pompeo to assassinate Julian Assange. If people have not read Michael Isakoff's reporting on this from Yahoo News back in, I think it was September or October of 2021, please go do. It, it, it shows you not just, you'll, you'll understand more about this case, but you'll also understand about what type of, 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 of gangsters run our government. And then, of course, the 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 last argument that his lawyers were presenting, uh, you know, to prevent extradition was that, you know, under both British and European law, there is an argument for public interest and that if you cannot uh, if if you have this type of 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 information released, what was it done for? The very nature of this release was for the public information, was for public interest. Right. I mean, so they're presenting a whole host of arguments to counter this extradition that uh, hopefully you would think uh, uh, independent judges would would few hate would, 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 would treat favorably. But of, of course, we know that's probably not the case here because we are dealing with uh, a very compliant and um, and uh, meek uh, British government when it comes to American foreign policy, even subservient. Yes, Matt, we have to we have to go because of a busy afternoon. But thank you very much for uh, your comments and for your expertise and for all you've done uh, to publicize to the country and to the world the injustices visited upon him. Who knows? Maybe we'll be surprised. Well, yeah, I wouldn't that be something, Judge, if, if I have to ask like your viewers to recommend who should go on the wall behind me? Um, you know, if, if his extradition is denied, wouldn't that be something, you know? Yes. Yes. Well, we breathe, we hope. Thank you, Matt. We'll see you again soon. All the best. All right. Thanks, Judge. Okay. Uh, coming up at three o'clock, Karen Kwiatkowski and at 4.30, Scott Ritter, Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.